Welcome to the CyberLife Podcast, where we help you learn cybersecurity best practices, give you a weekly update on the latest cybersecurity news, and share valuable career advice. Hi everyone, it's Ken. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Becky Gaylord. Becky is a trusted advisor and collaborative leader with global experience and 20 plus years in information security. She's a former investigative and financial reporter for the New York Times and Dow Jones. She's worked across multiple domains. She holds certifications like CISP, C-RISC, CISM, and the CIPP US. She took over as network administrator for her consulting company a decade ago when its website host suffered a cyber attack. And for clients, Becky directs projects focused on cybersecurity, risk, and data privacy. These include initiatives that improve security posture, especially at the human layer. Her work drives strategic solutions that generate multi-million dollar impacts. And so as you might have guessed, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the human layer of cybersecurity, or layer eight of the OSI model. So without further ado, let's jump right in and learn from Becky's wisdom. So thanks again for coming on the show today, Becky. For the audience, we're going to talk about essentially the human layer of cybersecurity, which we oftentimes call layer eight of the OSI model. So I just want to dive right into it, Becky. Can you explain what the human layer of cybersecurity refers to? I mean, I kind of alluded to it, but I didn't really go in depth and and really maybe talk to why the human layer of cybersecurity is so important that we as security leaders and others need to actually address it. Yeah, thanks, Ken. And, and it's a great question. And, and I don't think it has just one answer for sure. But for me, it's it's really any aspect where the access to an organization's networks and information and systems intersect with humans. And, and so it's a pervasive attack surface. And, um, and really the status of an organization's security posture depends on all the humans where there's a potential attack vector for, for bad actors. So it's, it's enormous. Um, and I'll, I'll give you some data, Verizon's 2023 uh, data breach investigations report found that 74% of the breaches involve a human element, and especially including social engineering uh, attacks. And that includes errors and misuse as well. And there's more we can talk about with that, specifically with like, say, uh, you know, the business um, email compromise. Um, And uh, just lastly on that, it it turns out that internal users show up as a source of breach far more than say advanced persistent threats, according to Verizon and others, which is not to say that, you know, (laughs) IPTs don't matter. Of course they do. But as numbers, humans, yeah, the 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 room for error and the and the room for initial access through humans, it, it's just so pervasive that it, it's it's huge. I completely agree, and and I worked with a healthcare organization many years ago where the person over their security team actually was one that fell for a phishing email um, that was purporting to be from HR and and they actually entered their uh sadly enough entered their uh domain credentials into the spreadsheet that the uh, quote unquote HR person had sent them to fill out. So so it happens to anyone even even security professionals that were, were very well trained 
it can happen to anyone. I mean, especially these days. And we'll talk a little bit about AI uh, later in this uh, program. So thanks, Becky, for that. Which kind of gets me to the next point of cybersecurity awareness and cybersecurity awareness training. So in your opinion, Becky, what are some simple ways to help improve cybersecurity awareness across an organization? It's meeting humans where they are, frankly. And I know that sounds simple, but I believe it's possible to embed user experience into cybersecurity awareness. I mean, we we don't ask the users of our apps to to say, bear with us if the user experience sucks, (laughs) but we kind of do with cybersecurity training. And and I, th- I think it also has to do, w- there's a lot more to say on that, but I, I think the second point is in addition to UX is that there's a tendency with cybersecurity awareness training in particular to measure the wrong thing. We've got to measure what matters. And, and often um, the controls and, and even the accountability following up on the controls is to tick a box. Well, did a user complete training? How many people completed the training? But, but what really matters is did behavior change? What, what was inspired as a result of, of the training, for example? So um, the reference to user experience and, and why I believe that relates to the measuring what matters is... Um, Adapting, say, the concepts that we that we find in, in software development, you know, building in fixing bugs, right? So improving the product from the user's perspective. So if the user, if the cybersecurity awareness training doesn't result in a delightful user experience, the content is not going to be absorbed. So um, and for those who say this is not possible. I actually have already referred to, you know, the Verizon. I mean, so many people read the um, the the data breach investigations report, but just have a look at that. Their graphics, even their footnotes, they're a riot. It's I believe it's fully possible to um, infuse delightful user experience into cybersecurity content, even for people who are not technical. So, asking surveying users after the fact what did they take away what was the most effective what wasn't the most effective incentivizing reports of of uh of phishing attacks um you know m- smoothing the process so that there's an easy button when they see an email that looks suspicious don't not making them you know close different windows and then open different internet access you know m- making it really easy to have the users do what they were trained, at least ostensibly trained to do in the training session so that it's not this one-off, but that it gets incorporated and embedded to their to, to their lives. And really the ultimate sign for me of whether that kind of um, cybersecurity awareness is effective is do they bring it home? Do they share it with their their older relatives? Do they talk to their kids? You know, the community groups that they may be involved with are like they bringing it to, you know, to those groups and, and sharing it because that shows a different level of absorption of the material. And that's really what we're kind of going for. 
So how can organizations tap into things like social engineering tactics and techniques to help strengthen their resilience um, through things like the increased security awareness, as well as the change behavior that you mentioned? Yeah, well, I want to start off by saying that I think social engineering, I mean, it, it's been, <laughs> you know, it's it's gotten a bad rap. It's, it's typically used for, you know, for bad actors. Um, but it, it can be used. It, it's really, for me, it's influencing someone to do something that they may or may not want to do. And the way that can be used for good and not just ill, in my mind, um, I think of, say, seatbelt laws or even parenting things like getting kids to eat their vegetables or do their homework. So there's there's influence that doesn't necessarily, you know, um, undermine, you know, or, or you know, uh, that, that's not evil in intent. So. I believe that using those same kind of aspects of, of influence and communication that target specifically the audience can be used to increase awareness and then change behavior. So how could, you know, how could we do that? Well, we talked about the kind of content. So how, when to deliver it, that's, you know, the most influential and the most uh, successful Um I think also maybe having uh, people view videos of how easy it is to fall prey, because a lot of times people say, oh, I wouldn't click on that. And then to see the way that can happen, to even have, for example, leaders in their own enterprise show a phishing um, example that either did catch them or or almost caught them. You know, it takes a certain kind of culture to be able to do that. But um, I believe that that kind of thing is is like taking the influence and the communication that the um, that the bad guys can use to to almost um, you know uh, burrow their way in, find uh, intersection, find kind of commonality, and then use it for good. Um, I guess the other thing that that is relevant here is the the things that those bad actors use: urgency, authority, scarcity you know, emotions that they make users feel that, that tend to trigger an autopilot response. Um, for example, we know that three quarters of phishing attacks start with social engineering. So building in controls that can incorporate this would be effective. So two-person controls for changing details on an invoice payment. Um, human versions of multi-factor authentication that require, you know, more than one human to do something simple like change credentials on a privilege account. You know, we just saw um, Okta report uh, those IT service desk personnel um, that were successfully social engineered to change, um, you know, highly privileged users, MFA. So it, it's happening. And I think um, we can take advantage of that as to counteract that in a way that um, inspires increased awareness. Beat them at their own game. I love it. So what what role do you think that ensuring effective communication, like what role does the communication play in, in helping enhance that security awareness across different teams and, and team members in the organization? Well, well we, we know that, that the the training has to be geared for, for the role. And, and I, I think it's, it's a matter of, of also 
taking advantage of where the bad guys have won or or broken through before, in, even in the recent past, because this technology changes so fast. And then building that in to new um, ways to increase awareness, right? Like, so find find what what worked um, as far as breaking breaking through through the defense, and and then using that. I mean, it's almost like classic red and, and blue teaming, you know. But using it with cybersecurity awareness, um, trying to beat them at their own game, but doing so in a way that is also specifically for the role um, in question. And obviously, like say with the IT, um, you know, service personnel, they're going to need a different kind of training than than other users. But but this does include, for example, say you know, receptionists and people who interact with um, with bad guys. I mean, I know it might sound like it's physical perimeter stuff, but if they're able to get through that kind of, you know, the f- physical um, breach and then say into, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the server room, it, it's, it's all, it's all related. It's all linked. And so using what has actually worked embedding that into the awareness training and then making it role specific is really crucial. So you mentioned people like secretaries that traditionally are going to be the non-technical. I mean, there are some people in those roles that are very, very technical. In fact, more advanced than a lot of IT people. But for the most part, they're they're non-technical. They're just there trying to do their specific job. So how can us as cybersecurity professionals, how can we really reach out and touch those individuals? Maybe, you know, not necessarily through security awareness, like formal training, but how can we just maybe in our, our day-to-day interactions with those individuals, how can we stress the importance of of security and kind of make it relevant to what they would understand. So they actually, as you mentioned earlier, take the lesson away and then go share it out with others. Yeah, that that's a great question. So much of this has to do with culture. I I hear so many examples where results of, of phishing tests after cybersecurity awareness results in, in punishments and you know versions of wall of shame and and that's entirely um counterproductive um because the more we encourage people to to speak up when they either had a near miss or they let someone in or you know the the more information it's almost like a way it's almost like threat intelligence gathering right the more we get to hear from the 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 people on the front lines who are are getting um you know who are receiving the the um the incomings on this stuff you know and so we we need to be able to across the organization both from a cultural perspective is also like this goes back to the user experience issue, making it really easy for them as well as rewarding for them to alert us to that stuff. Because if, if it's difficult or if in being, you know, alerting that either they, they got owned or they got, you know, they, they got taken, the sooner they can tell us that, the, the faster that can be addressed. And if it's going to result in like finger wagging, it's, it's not gonna, it, it, it's not, they're not gonna do it. 
So I, I think part of it is, is just making it, helping them help us. So how do we find that balance though between security and then essentially allowing people to, to do the things they need to do, whether they're a secretary, whether the CEO, sales team, you know, accounting, whatever, how can we assure that the productivity of the business isn't compromised while still maintaining that level of security that we need? Yeah, well, it all, it really all depends on the, on the, on the mission of the organization and the risk tolerance because different organizations, you know, think like the FBI or the CIA, they have entirely different, they're going to have entirely different approaches. So it kind of starts with, with addressing the risk level. Um, and, and then from there, you know, the, the, the strategy is set. And then from there we get the policy and the framework that's going to work. But on, on top of that, there are, are the tools and solutions that can be addressed have to be aligned. It, it's really like the classic kind of letting cybersecurity enable business. So picking, selecting tools that are going to really line up with that. And so, you know, to your, to your question, that's going to be a drastically different answer depending on the on the mission of the organization and then the the, the strategy that, that that they have because that's going to de determine their risk appetite um and and so I don't think there's like a necessarily as a specific answer that I can offer right right now except to make sure that it lines up with all of those things because it's the disconnects that are going to allow um you know that, that are going to leave holes so earlier I briefly mentioned AI and I said we'll we'll circle back to it. So we're already starting to see out in the wild or out out in the real world for those that don't know what in the wild means, but we're starting to see attackers leveraging um specifically ChatGPT which is LLM, but let's just say AI, you know, so they they're eventually going to be leveraging AI generated uh, generated images. They're also using text, you know, and really leveraging this for social engineering attacks on social media. Uh, could be through phishing emails, could be phone calls, et cetera. Keeping all that in mind, like like as we are kind of moving into the future here and already in the future, how can organizations prepare their teams for these new these new tools essentially that the attackers are using? You know, it's it really comes down to continuous learning. The technology is advancing so quickly that complacency is fatal. It, it, it requires humility on all of this stuff and, and continuing to realize that what we don't know is, is, you know, what we, what I don't know, I don't know is, is, is really the, I've got to make sure that I'm staying on top of all the things that are changing. And I can't do that alone, but I also have to think that something that was um, the case just say last week is not necessarily going to stay the case. So specifically with with AI, I mean, it's it's like layering in the basics of cybersecurity awareness training, and then continuing to to use those basics even as technology progresses. Because we've had to have security awareness even in analog days, right? And so we've had to kind of continue to take what our um, aware, informed actions. And, and also use those as technology has progressed, progressed even before AI. I will say though, 
as a as kind of for fun, I actually asked ChatGPT what its answer would be to your question. <laughs> and and interestingly enough, it kind of spat out something that was really similar. It talked about awareness and training and verification techniques like MFA and out of band verification. It talked about email security and AI detection tools, which I thought was particularly funny. And then policy procedures and regular updates, as well as legal and compliance and testing and simulation. So there you go. It basically was telling on itself that just said that we need to get back to basics and then also stay really on top of the technology um, as it as it changes and, um, and morphs on us. So you've heard it here, folks. Even AI says, do the fundamentals <laughs> and, and you'll be doing uh, just fine. So Becky, any other, any other uh, kind of final advice or thoughts for the audience out there? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, sometimes it's these simple things, right? It's not just malicious insiders. It's sometimes what is known to as malignant insiders. It's just like mistakes that seem like, um, for, for for example, 40% of the business email compromise as far as data um, uh, uh, loss that was unintentional is just user mistakes. And one of my favorites that I'll just mention that has huge impact, but we can all think of ourselves doing this, is there was an RFP, it was a multi-million dollar um, project. And in responding, one of the consulting firms that I will not name, one of the consulting firms hit reply to all with the invitation. So they shared with their, contra uh, their their confidential response to this RFP. They shared not only, you know, with with the um, with the uh, the organization that put the bid out, but with their um, handful of competitors. And not only did they not get, um, you know, not get the project, they were also disqualified from future projects because it seemed like such a major breach of trust. And then, of course, they shared their, um, their you know, that confidential information with their competitors. But it was simply a matter of just an email response. So it might sound funny, but even like using, you know, not putting in the the name on a really sensitive email with with a recipient until you are absolutely sure it's exactly what you want to say and then triple checking who it's going to that kind of stuff it it really it really is worthwhile in 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 my view lunch plans not so much multi-million rfp definitely thanks for listening to the show if you're looking to secure your business better or build up your cybersecurity career then check us out over at cyberlife.tv that's c y b e r l i f e dot t v